This episode is brought to you by Winnie the Pooh and the 100 Acre Re-Education Camp, starring Xi Jinping, in cinemas now. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is writer Bram Presser. Graham is the prize-winning author of The Book of Dirt and was frontman of Jewish punk band Yudcore. He joins us from lockdown in Melbourne. Thanks for joining us, Bram. Hey, Ben. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Uh, before we start, how's lockdown in Melbourne treating you? Uh, weirdly, not too bad. Uh, last year was way worse for us in Melbourne, I think. Um, I'm okay. I, I've, I've got a kinder-age kid. Kinders are still open. It's the only thing that's still open. And so it gives me sort of time to just, you know, do a bit of work, get a bit of balance, have a bit of a rest um, and just, you know, take stock, uh, which is all right. For those who haven't read Book of Dirt, could you tell us a bit about it and how you came to write it? Um, yeah, so <laughs> I think like, like most writers, I, I, you know, I've been trying a million different things and always uh, whenever I was writing something, it always sort of came back to the story of my grandparents and uh, they sort of weaseled their way into whatever I was writing. I, I, don't, uh, I don't say that in like a, a negative way, uh, but I always found that that was, I, I needed to almost exercise their story. Um, I was very close with them. They were Holocaust survivors um, and they, they died when I was about 19. They died within quite close proximity of one another. And um, I think it was three months. And uh, we sort of grew up with this version of my grandfather's story, which said uh, that he taught children uh, in the various camps uh, to keep them occupied until they were killed. Um, and we just assumed that was the story. Anyway, a few years after, after they died, after my grandparents died, this uh, story was published in the Australian Jewish News that said my grandfather had been selected by the Nazis as the um, literary curator of Hitler's Museum of the Extinct Race. And I had never heard that, and that was sort of kind of blew me away. Um, and so I thought I'm going to actually investigate this story and see which of the two stories that I had were, was true. And so I sort of set off on this, this journey to to. Basically, it wasn't even to write a book. It was just to, to find out what had actually happened. And I, I was, you know, I went to Prague. I went to Israel to like Yad Vashem, the Holocaust uh, Museum and various other um, sites of, of relevance. And um, it became very apparent very early that there just was no evidence of anything. Um, and I, I, so I didn't, I couldn't find any like truth or whatever. And it was actually quite, frustrating because like some of it seemed like there were doors being closed in my face quite um you know uh quite intentionally and others were just there were just absences but i had little bits of their stories and so i thought what if i imagined this as a novel like what if i reimagined their life and so i started with my grandfather who i knew was the a son of a rabbi in a little village in the um, mountains um, in Czechoslovakia, and he escaped the village because he wanted to seek a secular education. So I just sort of started following him. Uh, I started 
finding information. And so records started becoming available. I was getting emails from the various places I'd visit. Oh, actually we found this, we found that. Um, and so I was getting bits of their stories come in in real time as I was sort of writing it as fiction. So I decided to kind of have both in the book and I, I offset them against each other, um, used the, the story of my search, which is, I think, hopefully uh, representative of the search a lot of uh, you know third generation or of of uh, holocaust survivors uh, find themselves in at some point um with the kind of an imagined an imagined uh, version of what happened which incorporated um jewish and czech um, mythology and magical realism and that so yeah it's kind of like this it's basically the story of my my eight year search for my grandparents um uh, using kind of records, whispers, um, rumors, the whole, you know, the whole lot, and 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 mythology, uh, kind of in one strange boiling pot. Yeah, it's a very strange mixture of fiction and almost memoir, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like it, it's for a long time. I I I really thought about whether I should do my own um, story in it. And or just you know do the fictionalized version of theirs, um, but the, it, there was something about needing to tell the, my own story um, that that just I couldn't shake. So it, yeah, it had this this. It was essentially I, this, the memoir part of it is I would say ninety percent accurate. Um, there was one thing I put in just for a, a plot point to set up for later in the in the fiction part of it. Um, but other than changing a bit of timeline stuff, because some of the search went on for years where, uh, you know, no one wants to read a year, you know, eight years worth of search. Um, so other than that, yeah, it's pretty much a memoir of my search for my, my grandparents. Um, uh, and that was that, and that, you know, that involves a lot of kind of you know, self-reflection and, um, and considering, you know, yourself and these people you loved in the context of history as you're learning it. Um, and then I just kind of thoroughly enjoyed which is a weird thing to say for this sort of book um bringing them back into my life in a kind of in almost in a living sense as 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 characters who i could get to know better and inhabit um so yeah it was, it was a strange blend but I, it was something that i found really um you know really rewarding um and really kind of interesting to do i've seen it compared to you know some of Seabold's work um were there any authors that you took inspiration from when you were writing it? Uh, so, look, Sebald was definitely a a minor influence, I would say. But the the I would say the author that most influenced me and actually sort of opened my eyes to how the book could work because I, I I'd collected all of these like fragments, both in terms of the fact and and the fictional side, and I had no idea how to I don't know synthesize them into something that would work. And I was in a bookstore in London. And there was just this book on a shelf in the new releases that I pulled out. It was, oh, it's actually hilarious. I weirdly have it right in front of me. Um, and it's just got, it just had a spine with just like these red lines down the side of it. It's called Trieste. And it's by an author called Dasha Drindic, who was a Croatian author. She died a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, she just did this incredible work of documentary fiction, which does exactly sort of, it doesn't have memoir on her part, but it does have that synthesis of, um, uh, of of re record and fact, and you know, she uses like interviews and photos, which which I do as well. Um, uh, 
which are, are the, the kind of the, the, the scaffolding, I suppose, of, the, of a novel. Um, and it's, you know, it's actually often hard to kind of work out what is fact and what is fiction. And I really like that about it. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I would say that was by far my greatest influence. She became, um, a bit of a mentor for me. We, we became quite good friends. Um, and yeah, so, so, so I would say that she more than anyone was the, um, the main influence, but then there were like, I, I think in terms of storytelling, um, people like Arnold Zabel, I think was, was a, a big influence for me. And he was also, um, incredibly generous with his with his time and friendship in in when I was writing it. Um, and then a lot of the kind of classic um, Yiddish writers, uh, you know, Shalom Aleichem and Ayel Peretz and, and and authors like that. Um, and also just generally European um, fable writers. I, I was just you know, fables are my favourite form. So and I wanted this book to have a strong um, like fabulous element to it. So I, yeah, I, they were that was pretty much my body of writing. And then of course. Um, uh, Kafka, because my one of the kind of um, central anchor points of the book is is the copy of the trial that my grandfather gave to me, um, and in some ways the trial, the novel mi- mirrored my search, um, so it actually worked quite well as a, a framing device. So yeah, I, I would say they were the they were the main ones. Um, yeah, you know, other things come in as you as you're reading them. But um, they, they were definitely the the, the support beams. Yeah, the, I guess the Holocaust is quite a, it's something that's written about fairly frequently in narrative fiction. Is there a standout book about the Holocaust, do you think? Um, well, I, I would say Trieste, hands down. Um, it's, I, I think it's, it's, it's the, the best uh, Holocaust book of the last say 30 years um look there are others that i really really love um i, t- I tend to like uh ones obviously there are the classics and the classics are the classics for a reason so you know you've got your uh your ellie weasels your primo levies etc um but uh i also love there's a really great book called mr theodore munstock by let us love fuchs um which is a very strange surreal book about a guy who sets up a like he hears about what's happening in the camps. And so he sets up a, a camp barracks in his small attic apartment in, in Prague um, and, and try and sets about depriving himself of, of, you know, the, the, the not even the luxuries of life, the basics of life um, to prepare himself for what, for what may come. It's a very strange book, but it's, it's amazing. And another one that I quite liked was um, uh the, the the dance of Genghis Khan by Roman Gary, um, which is about a guy who's the clown, and he's he's executed by the Nazis at uh, at one of the camps um, in a firing squad. Um, but as he's uh, about to be executed, he just he turns around and flashes his ass at the at the firing squad, and they kill him. And then it, it, it then it flashes forward to the seventies um, where his ghost begins to haunt the guy who shot him, who is now a detective in a small um town in in germany like a so like it's it's again pretty strange but I, I think amazing um and the last one i would i would say i'm really i'm very interested in books that talk about um complicity and uh particularly of uh, ordinary people and i think the, the the best book of that sort is a book called brodex report by um philippe claudel and uh, you know set in a town where a guy turns up 
and the town collectively murder him. And, and this guy comes in to investigate the murder um, who used to be in that town, who used to come, who came from that town initially. Uh, it's looking like you've read it by the, by the look of things. Um, it's, I think it's just a magnificent book. And it, it talks about basically the, the complicity of, of ordinary people during the Holocaust. Uh, a brilliant book. Yeah, I so, yeah. completely agree. It is a brilliant book. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, look, you know, they're they're the, they're the ones that stand out. Like, they're, I mean, they're, look, as you said, there are so many, and there there are a lot of good ones. There are a lot of terrible ones as well, which just you know diminish, sanitize, or otherwise minimize the you know the horrors or or just the realities of it. But um, you know, there are so many great ones out there um, that you're sort of. It's not, you know, it's not hard to, to go on a, a quick search and stumble over 50 of them very quickly. Yeah. Do you think there is a, a need to write a book about what you know? Um, I think with the Holocaust, I feel sometimes that we have a whole lot of people who aren't culturally capable of writing those books. Do you think it's something that's um, necessary? Oh, so this is interesting. Like I've, I've had this debate a lot. Um, I think for me, there are two things about writing a Holocaust book now. One is, and it's funny, I said this to my editor very early on. And I said, if I'm writing just another Holocaust book, just tell me to give up, you know? So I think you have to be adding something new to the conversation, right? Um, and the other thing is, that you get the, I know the Holocaust itself right. Like you have to be, um, you have to have absolute fidelity to the Holocaust itself, even though you have a great deal of, uh, I suppose, uh, wriggle room in the story that you write around it. Right. So just, and this is why books like say, you know, the boy in the striped pajamas or tattoos of Auschwitz really like upset me in that way that um, they're just, they peddle impossibilities, they get great attention and people think that's what the Holocaust was. And like, you know, I have no problem writing, you, as far as, you know, for all I care, you can write a story where aliens land in, uh, you know, in Auschwitz and, and some craziness um, ensues. But as long as you get Auschwitz right, that's okay, you know? But, but don't get... Don't get the basics wrong. <laughs> um, so I think like, and, you know, and, and in terms of, and, and I think you do have to be, if you're writing from outside the culture, you have to be incredibly sensitive to, um, you know, cultural sensibilities or, or, or other um, kind of issues that might arise. And it's interesting because I, like, since this book, I've done a few sensitivity reads on Holocaust books that were being published. Um, yeah, and it's good to know that, like, and I, I, this is the same, I think, um, across any book that uh, engages with cultural issues, whatever the culture, uh, that sensitivity, sensitivity reads have become now a, a standard part of the publishing process. Um, and they make sure that, you know, they get a few people from within the culture that it, uh, and that even includes, by the way, if the author happens to be from within the culture, right? Um, just to, to flag any issues. Um, but yeah, like, uh, and it's, it's, it's always that kind of thing, you know, you can write whatever you want to write, but, but if you take on something that is not your voice, you better down well get it right. You know, like, um, because especially if it's always hard to say this, but like, you know, there, there's something that, that, that makes me feel that, you know, we should always 
privilege the voice from within, especially um, given that so many times the voice from within has not had the opportunity, I'm talking from within a culture, has not had the opportunity to be heard. Um, you know, there, there are plenty of, of, of cultures that are written about and written for without it being really um, written from. Uh, and I think that's really kind of important. But that doesn't mean you can't write from outside the culture. But, you know, as I said, just if you, if you make a mistake, and you have to wear the consequences. And the consequences should be dire for your book. That's pretty much it. Right, let's move on to what you're working on at the moment. Yes. Well, uh, this is a difficult question. So I, I have a book that I want to write and have, you know, dabbled a little bit in, uh, which is of a similar style to Book of Dirt. Uh, it's not a Holocaust book, but, um, but it is documentary fiction. Um, problem is it requires travel and, other, and, you know, going and meeting people and other such things. Um, which really just aren't possible at the moment. Like, it's not even like, you know, you can do these things on Zoom, you can interview people. It's not the same as, you know, going to a particular place with a particular person and talking in that space. It just, it doesn't have that same, the essence is different. And so I, I think that, that, that I just have to shelve that book for now. Um, I also have a, like a kid's book based on, uh, based on a story that I was telling uh, my nephew uh, when he was a little kid, he's now like nine. So it's been, you know, a long, a long time in the, in the background of my mind, he was like two or three when I was telling this story, um, which I was making up as I went along. And I now wish that I'd written it down at the time. Um, and then I also, I've been working on a fable and this fable, like I sort of love the idea of it. It's kind of a really old, old fashioned, like fable with a really weird, surreal premise um and it's i think it's a novella i think um and i'm sort of hoping to have that uh kind of bef- by the end of this year i would like i would have something finished that i can you know go to my publisher and say look 500 years later i have written something else <laughs> even if it's only short the other day i i was just struck by this idea for what 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 very strangely feels like it might be a thriller or a horror book based on the fate of my childhood home. Um, weird things happened to my childhood home after we, uh, after we moved out. And I feel that there's like a really great kind of, I don't know, Shirley Jackson-esque kind of uh, uh, thing to be made from it. Uh, but I, I sat down the other day to start writing and I'm like just looking at the blinking, the blinking cursor and I'm like, yeah, I'm going back to the fable. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a break here for a minute. You're listening to Beyond the Zero, and we're speaking with Bram Presser. We're back on Beyond the Zero. Bram, was there a gateway book for you? I, I, I would say the book that made me love reading more than anything else 
Um, there were probably books before it because I've actually always been a reader as a kid, right? But I would say the book that got me to reading like obsessively and that I actually still read once a year is um, I Am the Cheese by Robert Cormier, <laughs> which is a young adult novel. Um, I don't know if you've read it. Um, it's, yeah, it's the story of the, yeah, this, this kid who is in a, well, it's actually hard to know what he's in. It's some sort of institution and it's uh, a series sort of, of taped interviews with him and then flashbacks to his childhood. And it's apparent that his, his, his dad was a, was a, was a journalist who was a whistleblower on some um, big government conspiracy or something like that. And uh, I mean, reading between the lines, the government had him killed basically. And the kid was, uh, and the kid is, they're trying to make sure that he doesn't remember anything. Basically, it's just such a great book. It's so well done. It's it's like it's it's beautifully transgressive for a young adult kind of thing about you know questioning power and just like kind of realities and it's just such. It, it kind of opened my mind to what storytelling can do and what what you can do with um, structure as well. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I love that book. So I would have to say. I wish I could say something like, you know, obscure and Eastern European, but my answer is is definitely um, I Am the Cheese by Robert Cormier. Does he eat a lot of clam chowder in that book? Or is that just a false memory for me? You know what? Uh, like in my head, now that you say it, I think there is something that it could be. You may well have just planted a false memory in my head, but, um, but, but there's something that rings a bell. It does ring a bell. Um, yeah, God, it's a good book, and it's short as well. It's like it's you know it's 130 pages. It's a, it's a YA book, and it's it reads very quickly. And you know, every time I read it, it takes half a day, and I I walk away with a big grin on my face, going, "Yep, this is still the best book that was has, has ever been written." <laughs> I know you're like me, and you love a good bookshop. Um, what's your favorite places to go in Melbourne? Oh wow! Oh, this is a, this is actually a really hard call. I, I have lots of bookshops I, I love. Um, big fan of. I don't know if you, do you know the Grumpy Swimmer in Elwood? Yeah, um, that's a great store. Um, I love it. Um, I love both of the Avenue. Um, well, there's three of them now. There's one in Richmond, but you know, God forbid, I cross the Yarra. <laughs> um, it's uh, so that, you know the, the one in Albert Park, which was the original, and then now there's the one in. Elston um, Week, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, which used to be Sunflower, which I have to say, I loved Sunflower when that was there. Um, you know, I love Jeffries is really good. Um, I love the paperback bookstore. I, I, I love going there. I love Hill of Content. I actually, I, it's weird because I, I really, this is something that makes me really feel the pandemic because sometimes when I just need a day where I can put my brain on hold, I'll literally take a day off and just bookshop hop. Like from, and there are so many good ones in in, in Melbourne. We we're, we're just lucky to have a really fantastic, you know, bookshop culture. You know, readings. Uh, I'll, you, I always love going to you know the New Carlton readings is amazing. Um, but yeah, even my, my my little St Kilda readings um, near where I live is is awesome. And there's always this right really fantastic. Um, I don't know. There's a, like there's a community of 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 book lovers that that. that centers around the book bookstores they really are sort of community spaces um and i really love that like it doesn't feel like you're in some sort of uh supermarket of books and, and melbourne really has that fantastically um you know sun bookstore i love um brunswick bound uh there's just too many <laughs> what i mean we're just lucky we're lucky actually you know embarrassingly in sydney i i absolutely love um Kinokanuya. 
Um, such a good bookshop. It's amazing, right? And because for some reason, whoever does the book buying there, like I, I feel like they should be put on a pedestal and given like medals constantly because they have the most obscure book select. Like, I mean, you know, they've got everything you would expect, but they also on top of that have like the most obscure book collect, uh, selection. And I've found so many books that I didn't even know existed and have been become like favorites by just or literally start at A and work my way through every single shelf. Um, I'll spend like, you know, an hour or two just browsing and I will always find something that I didn't expect, didn't know. And it's just amazing. Yeah, that's the kind of place I spend for before this pandemic started. I was spending an hour and there a week and quite a yeah. lot of money. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> so when you're in a bookshop, what makes you pick up a book? What makes you take one home and, you know, go through it? Oh, that's so weird. Um, that's a really great question because I'll – sometimes look, sometimes it'll be something that I, that I remember reading about or someone telling me about. And I'll go, oh, that one, you know, fantastic. But a lot of the time it's just that I, I can't even – like I couldn't even put a finger on what made me buy something. Like I'm a sucker for an impulse buy of something that just seems to speak to me. Um, if it looks a bit strange, um, a bit um, look, admittedly, I, I will buy a book for its cover uh, <laughs> and also by its uh, by its blurb. Uh, anything that sounds remotely kind of um, oddly bram. Uh, I, I will pick up, but um, there are also sometimes when you see books from particular publishers that you know you like their their um, their stuff. I'll, I'll always at least you know pull it off the shelf and quite likely buy it. Um, yeah, I just I, I I just get drawn in by particular books for no. I, I'll, I'll walk a shelf, I'll see something, something will catch my eye. I'll just look, I'll go. Okay, I'll, I'll keep moving, and then I'll find myself drifting back to it, and I, you know, pull it off the shelf and put it back like five, ten times while I'm in the bookstore until at the end I'm like, I've got to buy it, and and it's the number of books I buy a week is actually embarrassing. Um, <laughs> it's it's pretty much all I, w- I reckon I spend my disposable income on. Um, so you know, it and and then also like I get sent quite a lot of books as well. Which is fantastic, um, but yeah, like uh, books. I don't know. Books just call out out to me. I wish I wish I had like a a more s- sensible answer <laughs> to this, but but I don't. Like you know, other than the books that I've heard of, a book that you know, a book will catch just catch my own sound or look interesting, and you know, I just can't not buy it. Yeah, I think there are some shelf elves that follow me around and just yeah. things out at me. Yep, agreed, hundred percent. We'll take a quick break here and be back in a minute with Brown Presser. We're back with Bram Presser. Bram, what are you reading at the moment? So I am currently reading um, 
So I'm part of a book club uh, that, I, well, that I run. I run a book club with. Um, do you know the thriller writer J.P. Pomari? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, he's, I love his books as well. Um, he, so he and I run a book club together, and um, our book for this this month is um, the Absolute Book by Elizabeth Knox. So I'm really, yeah, that's a you know 650 pages. So that's a solid chunk at the moment. We usually go for much shorter, but um, so that's what I'm reading at the moment. I just finished the new um, Rifka Galchen book. And like I love Rifka Galchen, her her debut um, "Atmospheric Disturbances" I think is one of the great debuts of the last, um, you know, the recent years in American literature at least. Um, what else have I just read? Um, I read oh, I read I read um, JP Pomari's latest book, "The Last Guest," which was a great. Thrill. You know, it's funny in lockdown. Sometimes you, I just need something that is going to, you know, sweep me away with narrative and like with plot and something exciting. And I think he you know, plots absolutely brilliantly. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I just love a, a book that will sort of, you know, uh, like whisk me away uh, with with narrative and excitement. And, and I think um, uh, J.P. Pumari does that really, really well. Um, so that was a really enjoyable book. Um, oh, I also read the new, I don't know if you read da- Damon Galgut, um, the South African writer. Um, and he wrote uh, The Good Doctor, which was shortlisted for the Booker, many years ago and his new one the promise which is now long listed for this year's booker um that was really good really like you know gutting but uh but but excellent um and what else have i read that i really liked um oh i have a book of the year actually so far which i just thought was brilliant um and that was the employees by olga raven um and i don't know if you've read it um it was on the short list for the he might have even been for the International Booker, actually. Um, and it was about, it's this weird fragmented um, novella set on some sort of strange cargo ship in the future um, narrated by a series of, or, or with fragments about a series of kind of like humanoid, cyborgy kind of, but it's sort of about, the way we sort of view work and the way we view life and, 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 and all of the kind of the major issues of our time, it's just done so well. And I still can't quite get my head around it, but it's just, it's amazing. It's, it's such a great book and really short and just, and another one that I think, which has been a real sort of sleeper hit here um, is this big book called Grimish by Michael Winkler. Um, and you know he self-published it, and it's just been getting these incredible reviews, like from Sydney Review of Books, and um, uh, you know all the the various <coughs> excuse me like book review rags. I think it was um, in uh, what do you call it? Ah, um, oh, what's what's the uh, ABR? Um, anyway, it's about it's this kind of he calls it exploded fiction. It's this semi-fictional retelling of uh, this boxer at the turn of the twentieth um, century who visited Australia. Um, kind of woven in with his um, this his <laughs> the relationship of sort of the narrator with this mysterious uncle who knew this boxer. Anyway, it was it's it's a really strange book, but it's it's so original. It's very experimental. It's it's really good. Um, yeah. So there, and I, I also love the new Ishiguro. I thought that was just beautiful. 
Um, it's actually, I have to say, for a lockdown year, I'm very glad. It's a really good year for books. I'm reading a lot of great stuff. So, um, and, I, and also, also, I've been going through a bit of a novella phase because I just don't have the um, the wherewithal to be reading long books. So I've been reading quite a few novellas as well, um, and I've just picked up a few that like look really exciting that I had, I know nothing about other than that they look really exciting. So nice. hopefully that'll. Um, Hopefully that'll they, they'll they'll keep me through this lockdown. Well, actually, Elizabeth Knox will keep me through this lockdown because that's six hundred fifty pages. Oh, and also the other book that I think is going to be everywhere, um, you know, like come what, what's it called the the Prime Minister's Awards and Miles Franklin and what have you um, is um, Smokehouse by Melissa Manning. Oh man, that is it's a story of it's a book of linked stories set in um, Tasmania. It is just so good. Beautiful writing, great storytelling. Just, yeah, amazing. Okay. I'll have to put that one on my list. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah. Check it out. All right, Bram, it's time to hear your top 10. Uh, this is very difficult. Uh, okay. I would, I would, okay. I'm the cheese sits at number one. It's <laughs> just there. Um, I would have to put the trial as number two, I would say, um, Kafka. Um, ooh. The Tenant by Roland Topor. Um, the Book of Daniel by um, E.L. Doctorow. What am I up to? Four, five. Um, Too Loud a Solitude by Bomul Hrabal, the Czech writer. Uh, oh, I'd have to put um, Trieste by Dasha Drindich. Um, yeah, that, that, that book literally lives with me. Um, I don't know. Have you read um, This Blinding Absence of Light by Tahab uh, Benjaloun? No, I haven't read that. That's, also, that's an amazing, amazing book. Um, it's a really beautiful book uh, called Binu and the Great Wall by Su Tong. The Ogre by, by um, is it Michel Tonier? I think it's Michel Tonier. Um, my, by the way, my top ten is likely to be like four hundred books if you if you let me keep going. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a great uh, censoring an, an, an Iranian love story by Sharia Man, Mandanapur. That's phenomenal. If you haven't read that, I don't know. Oh, the Infernal Design Machines of Dr. Hoffman by um, Angela Carter. I love that book. Um, yeah, it's uh, I, I I'm I'm definitely past ten, aren't I? The Infatuations by Javier Marias. That is a really good book. Oh my god, what an amazing book, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I could just keep going, but yeah, I, th I think I'm probably past 10 at this point. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Very good. Are there, um, any other books you'd like to give a, you know, really strong recommendation for? Oh, <laughs> endless um, list. Yeah. Um, what else do I, uh, um, I'm a big fan of, um, Andre Brink. So a dry, a dry white season. Um, I thought that was great. Oh, you know what? A book that I think gets overlooked way too often because you know his brother won the uh, won the Nobel Prize um, is I.J. Singer's The Brothers Ashkenazi. That is just like it's better than anything that um, I uh, you know Bashevis wrote. Even mm -hmm. though I, like I like Bashevis, it's great. Um, oh, another really great great book, um, Schopenhauer's Telescope by Gerard Donovan. And um, also my my favorite, I have to say, my favorite like contemporary author. Um, is Jesse Ball. And so um, like Silence Once Begun by him or The Census um, or The Curfew, all beautiful books. Yeah. Um, 
there's, there's just too many, aren't there? Like <laughs> the, the the reality. Too many books. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, you know, any of those, I would, I would heartily, heartily, heartily recommend. Um, yeah. All right. Well, before we wrap it up, you want to uh, tell our listeners where we can find you and your writing? Uh, yeah. So I'm at brandpresser.com um, and also, uh, yeah, that's actually probably, that's probably pretty much at the moment where you can find me locked away in a house in Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's, isn't that where, is that where everyone can be found? <laughs> um, no, I'm, I, I am actually on Instagram. I don't use it, but I, I joined just so I could have the handle. I am Instagram. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm easily, easily uh, contactable. Um, probably, arguably, too contactable. But uh, <laughs> uh, I'm around if anyone wants to wants to you know shoot the breeze during uh, during a lockdown. Well, Bram, thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Zero. Uh, thank you. Great fun. Thanks once again to Bram Presser. You can find him and his music at brampresser.com. You can find us on Twitter at BeyondZeroPod and you can email us at BeyondTheZeroPod at gmail.com. We'll be back next week. <laughs>